Hello, and welcome to Lean Into You, a podcast to remind educators the best investment they can make today is in themselves. We are your hosts, Alex Farrell with Child Care Wages Tennessee, and Wesley Mays with the Tennessee Child Care Resource and Referral Network. And today we are continuing our conversation with Dr. Jacqueline Bussey about the things that make life worth living during difficult times. If you missed last week's episode, Make sure to tune in to find out the importance of setting goals that give you goosebumps, being someone's Christmas morning, what it means to open nature's mail, and finally, how the children in your classroom can help you bear witness to wonder. In this week's conversation, we're going to talk a little bit about claiming joy as your birthright. You know, and I wasn't, it's important for me to say that I wasn't dancing because I felt joy. I mean, obviously, my best friend is dying, right? What I was doing was trying to kick death's butt, you know, and kind of like bring joy back. We'll also talk a little bit about the importance of learning to compost our pain and why we should listen when life tells us we're exactly where we need to be. So Jacqueline, continuing on with our conversation... What else do you think is really relevant right now? Uh, What other points do you have in maybe combating some of the stress uh, that we're facing, um, whether that's in childcare or in, you know, what's going on with the world at large? Another point that I think is really important is claiming joy as our birthright. This too is something that we can lose touch with. And I really truly believe that we were created for joy and that it is our birthright. So just a little story that I can kind of tell here that's relevant perhaps uh, is I had a very good friend who who died of cancer and she was very young. You know, she was only 45 and it was so hard. But back during the time um, when she was very sick, one night I mentioned already, I sometimes have insomnia. If I get stressed out about things, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but that particular night I felt the need to, uh, go out on my patio in my backyard and uh, dance. And Mm. I took my iPod because I was just so, uh, you know, like I, and and so I did. So I went out on my back patio. Do you remember what you danced to? Yes, I do actually, because I couldn't believe it later because it was such a coincidence. I didn't think about it. I listened to Coldplay and I was listening to um, some song about love, Viva La Vida or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, perfect dancing song. Perfect dancing in the middle of the night by yourself under <laughs> a high moon, right? But I didn't think about that, you know, which is really a song about life. Yeah. Like, you know, that title is from the Spanish, I think, right? This, and this, so, this podcast brought to you by Coldplay. <laughs> we'll get their sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. exactly. I wish we had their sponsorship, right? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I started dancing, you know, to that song and just trying to heal myself in some ways or let the music heal me or let dancing heal me, whatever. And, you know, and I wasn't, it's important for me to say that I wasn't dancing because I felt joy. I mean, obviously my best friend is dying, right? What I was doing was trying to kick death's butt, you know, and kind of like bring joy back. And it was only later that I remembered, you know, I teach world religions. It's what I do. I run an interfaith peace building center at my college. I remember that in the Jewish tradition, there's a tradition of dancing on graves. 
and it's a it's a tradition within Hasidism, and you do it because you are you're summoning the divine presence into the moment of grief. Hmm. Wow. And I didn't even think I didn't I wasn't even calculating that like you know, but it is what I did. And you know, honestly, I um, I I I did feel joy in that moment, and it reminded me of my favorite quote from Alice Walker, who says. Uh, she has a book called The Secret of Joy. It's such a good novel. Mm-hmm. And she's like, the secret to joy is resistance. Resistance. And I think she just means resistance to any to anything that's bringing us to, resistance to death, resistance to oppression, resistance to racism, resistance to haters, you know, yeah. resistance to boredom. Like, you know, like just resistance, you know, to all of those things that try to take the life out of us, which is why it's so significant that I was felt called to listen to that Coldplay song, which is about live your life. Mm-hmm. Like that's what that title means. You know, so. I, I especially love this point because I've been, I've had that same experience in my life. Um, you know, my father passed from cancer back in 2013 and that was a really grief filled period of my life. And, um, you know, there were times when I really let myself get lost in that. Um, but I think through that entire period, I had to learn to just say, no, this isn't, you know, sometimes I'm just going to force myself to do the things that I know that I love, uh, the things that I know that I enjoy um, to reclaim that for myself. And I think that's what you're talking about, um, to just reclaim that and say, you know what, I, I'm not going to live in this pain. I'm going to, I deserve joy. I deserve love and happiness in my life. And, you know, we're all going to have grief. Grief is going to affect all of us at some point. I think how we grow from that experience is how we learn to react to the grief um, that comes into our life just naturally. That's beautiful. And we're not just our grief. That's exactly. What we're not. It's part of us, but it's not all of who we are. Right. Yeah. Thank right. you for sharing that. And yeah, and that we don't have to we don't have to do this comes back to inherent value. We don't have to do anything to be worthy of joy. And so one of the things that now if I just even sort of sometimes if I just have a bad day at work or my husband has a bad day at work, you know, when we come home, um, sometimes he'll look at me because I told him about my secret dancing, you know, at like three in the three AM. I told him about that. And now sometimes if we just have a bad day, like, you know, I'll come home and He'll, he'll like blast the, the Spotify, you know, blast the music and he'll say to me, dance party. Yes. Amazing. Perfect. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. 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 It's, I think that's really important too, is like, cause like I said, like I said before, a lot of these things are easier said than done. Um, and so a lot of what we're talking about here too, is when, when you're just not feeling it, sometimes it's, it's kind of like asking people to fake laugh until they real laugh. Yeah. Right. Go through the motions of experiencing joy, even if you're not feeling it. And you'll be you'll be surprised that when genuine joy starts to kind of fill your cup a little bit. Mm. You know, that's absolutely right. Right. Yeah. Make it. Make it. Exactly. And sometimes, you know, it's we should all be, you know, headed towards uh, hopefully working towards a more genuine version of ourselves. But uh, sometimes life is is such that, yeah, exactly. We do have to fake it until we make it. What other what other things feel really urgent to you as far as how we can live our best lives? Or I think it's important to learn to compost our pain. Learning to compost our pain, as Wesley was saying earlier, 
you know, there's nobody whose life doesn't have pain. You know, maybe I have certain privileges, so I have maybe less pain or something than someone else. Nonetheless, you know, everybody does suffer. I do believe that. And, and so I've come up with a phrase for what I feel like, you know, we can do with pain. Because one of the things I think we've all learned that we don't want to do is bury it, repress it, hide it. And our culture kind of teaches us to do a lot of those things, right? You know, yeah. we, we live in, in a, you know, I hate to say it, but I think it's true. We have a cliche culture. You know, we have a lot of cliches for, oh, everything happens for a reason, you know, and all those kinds of things. And sometimes those things might be true and they might be comforting. And I think if they're comforting for you, you can keep that. But I think sometimes when we say it to someone else, you know, it can be very alienating for them. Like maybe they don't want to, you know, people said that to me when my mom was dying. So I, I lost my mother. She was only 50 years old and I was 20. And she had early onset Alzheimer's disease, right? Oh, wow. And he didn't remember who, who I was, what my name was or anything. And that was, that was when I lost her, when I was 20. Mm. And I wrote a book about that because I had to write a memoir just to process that grief, you know, and uh, that's called Outlaw Christian. Mm. And I, I'll never forget when I was, you know, on book tour for that book and speaking about that, talking about, you know, how I worked through that grief. And there was a, this one time I was at Holden village, which is in Washington state, completely remote. And this lovely, lovely older man who turned out to be 80 came 80 years old, came up to me and he had tears in his eyes. And he said, I had just given a talk about how we shouldn't apologize for tears. Mm. That's part of my book is stop apologizing for tears. Tears are human. And, we, and they're, they're salty evidence of love that lives on after death. So we should not be ashamed of them. Anyway, so this man comes up and he says, you know, he says, my wife died last November. And this was summer. He said, my wife died last November. And he said, and I never cried until today because you gave me permission to. Wow. And then he said, can I hug you? <laughs> and I was yeah. like, of course you can. <laughs> I mean, what do you what do you do with that? I mean, do, I did you start unleashing six months of tears as well? I mean, I feel like <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I I did. Yeah, you know, like I cried with him and gave him a hug, and it was truly at that moment that I realized all of those years of grief that I had while watching my mom die when she didn't know who I was anymore. I composted them by mm -hmm. right. That's he taught me that. He taught me that. You know, you can't take away the pain. I, I'm not a fan. I don't think it's healthy of just shoving something away under a rug, denying, burying. You can't do that. But if you think of, of suffering as, you know, as, as pain as a form of poop, because <laughs> I kind yeah. of think it is. Uh, mm -hmm. If you think of it as poo, you know, like I always joke with my students, I'm like, don't put a pink bow on a pile of poo for me and try to tell me it's a gift, okay? Just don't do it. Like, you know, it's still poo and you've got a pink bow. So none of that, right? You know, let's be honest. Let's be honest. You know, suffering sucks. Mm -hmm. Pain sucks. It's hard to lose the people we love. I don't want to hear that it's not. And, you know, like, what is the upshot? Well, we all know what poo is good for. Like, it's an incredible, incredible fertilizer and it makes green things grow, doesn't it? Right. That yeah. is the ultimate irony of life. Again, open nature's mail. What is nature mm -hmm. telling you? 
about that. You know, don't pretend like it doesn't stink though. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. I I don't think that you can have a full experience of life without learning how to process grief and working through it and, and sitting in it for a little bit. Um, I think that you'll only ever try to chase after something, um, like to chase after joy or, but if you don't process that, you're always going to, that's always going to be sitting there and recognizing the duality of emotion, recognizing that joy and happiness is nothing without understanding that grief and pain are also there as well. Like they're, they're opposites here, but they're both a part of the human experience without appreciating one, you can't appreciate the other. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I've got a question for you. So when, when you're experienced, is there something that alarms you personally or kind of, um, that makes you aware that you might be suppressing something? Is there an indicator or red flag that you stop? Maybe subconsciously you've been like, Oh, I haven't processed or handled this. Well, I need to take a step back and, and revisit this thing that happened that I could be holding on to. Is there something that is like a red flag to you when you do that for you? Yeah, that's a great question. I have to really think about that. The first thing that came to my mind was noticing, being self-observant, right? And thinking about what is a trigger, right? What is, what is triggering? Say for example, you know, and I have never shared this with any, anyone, but what, but it's, it's relevant, I think. So one time I was um, babysitting in graduate school for my uh, friend's children and they wanted to watch Charlotte's web. Lovely, lovely cartoon movie. Right. But it is about death and grief Mm -hmm. and introducing children to that. If you think about that, it's actually quite a sad, you know, uh, story in some ways. And I was watching that. This is a show for kids, right? I was watching that not connecting. Of course, that at that time, my mother was dying. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and my mother's name is Charlotte. Oh, Oh, wow. And I, started sobbing but it was like i'm making it sounds obvious now right but i'm just like i'm gonna sit with the kids we're gonna watch charles webb i always loved that as as a child i love that story i am sitting behind my friend's children like sobbing sobbing and it was so true so true that i had not processed that grief you Mm. know what i did later by writing my book about what is it like to watch your mom die for 16 years? Cause see, she lived for a long time, but right. she didn't know that she was my mother. Right. Sure. So, so it, we lost my mother, you know, at right. age 20, right. but she physically lived in a body for a long time, but the entire world was a stranger to her. So all I'm saying is notice those triggers and then think about, you have to ask yourself or you have to ask your counselor or your pastor or your friends you know, you have to say, why, why is it that that's so upsetting? Right. Mm. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's funny that you say that I, I recognize things like with my relationship with my wife, we've been married now less than, less than a year coming up on a year. And every now and then we'll kind of laugh after the fact, of course, but not in the moment. I'll, we think everything's okay. And then she'll shut a cabinet door a little bit harder than I wanted her to. Like, what do you do? What? Why would you do that? Can't you tell I'm trying to do whatever? Doesn't matter. Um, 
And then when that happens, like she, fortunately we have the kind of relationship where she'll look at me and be like, um, 10 days out of 10 days, you would not get upset by that. What's going on. And so that's, that's so important of, yeah, recognizing that trigger of like, there's this, we, we all know ourselves to some degree. We know what, what sets us off. We know the stuff that is real and legitimate and needs to be addressed. And the stuff that's petty, we can like separate that. Most of us can. Um, and yeah, that's a, that's a great indicator of if you're, if you find yourself getting irrationally angry or anxious at the petty, the stuff that you've labeled as petty, maybe take a step back and, and think about some things. Yeah. That was a great answer. Uh, I think, yeah, I think the more that you do that too, the more it becomes a part of your life unpacking how you're feeling. And we've talked about this a lot in other episodes. Um, the more that you recognize your patterns of thought and the more that you are meditative and explore who you are, the easier it becomes. And the more um, it, you know, the less it is a chore, you know, the more that you recognize those triggers and all of these things, it just becomes easier. And then it becomes a part of your life and you don't even think about it. You just do it. You recognize it. Okay. I, I need to get out and I need to, go bear witness to wonder. I need to open nature's mail, you know, I need to get out and like, and, and, and really have some self care for myself. Yeah, definitely. I think maybe the last thing that we'll, we'll touch on because I think this one is, is really important for educators, which is part of our anxiety. I mean, there are all these different stressors with being a teacher, with an educator, especially an early childhood educator when, You've got you got financial stress. You've got all these other different stressors. Part of I think what um, contributes to that a lot uh, for educators is losing a sense of of direction. And we've talked a little bit about that in um, in the previous point, but that feeling of reaffirming that we're exactly where we need to be. Um, and you you had that great point. What you you titled as hints of holiness. I think we'll maybe wrap up with, with that point. So hints of holiness is a little phrase that I've come up with. Um, as you just said, Alex, that indicates that sort of strange, almost mystical moment. Sometimes we have in life that is indicates to us. We're exactly where we're supposed to be. And we're, we're doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And we don't have those moments all the time, but they're very special. And I think when they do happen, we really need to listen to them because they can be very affirming of our callings, right? Mm. And so what do, I, what do I mean by a hint of holiness? Something that happened to me once. When I was in college, I was a psycho- early childhood psych, as I mentioned before. And I worked at a summer camp in North Carolina that was for autistic children. And um, they were somewhere on the spectrum, the autism spectrum, right, I should say. And what happened, um, it, you know, it's, it was often the case that many of the children had never been apart from their parents, particularly for an overnight camp. And it was a week-long camp, you know, so it was very intense working there. And I loved it very much, but it was also very hard. And one day we had a thunderstorm. And if you know anything about uh, children who are on the spectrum, Changes in schedule can be very upsetting. You know, it's not their fault, but it's it's really disruptive, right? When the schedule has to be changed and they don't understand why, right? You know, and they're like, I, you know, and they maybe can't communicate how upset they are. 
So one day we had a thunderstorm and we weren't going to be able to go to the pool. Well, I had a camper. We were one-on-one -on -one with our campers. Um, I had um, a lovely young boy who loved swimming more than anything. And I tried explaining for hours that we were not going to be able to swim that day as soon as we had notice of the storm. Um, but nonetheless, you know, he couldn't communicate with me uh, verbally how upset that makes him. Right. And so he he got violent with me, as can mm. happen, you know. Um, and so he he kind of attacked my face and hit me and everything. He grabbed my hair and pulled as hard as he could. He was 18. Mm. Right. So he was just a couple of years younger than me, much bigger than me. Really, oh, my goodness. You know? Right. And so he, he was much older camper and pulled my um, hair out by the scalp. Like, I mean, took out a chunk of my head. And I, you know, you have those moments of self-doubt, don't you? When you have a day like that and you're physically in pain or emotionally in pain, you say, why am I doing this? Like this, this, maybe I'm not cut out for this job. And I remember saying that that day to my dear friends. Well, the next day, our uh, supervisors gave me and two two girlfriends two girlfriends the day off hmm. because she knew we were having a really we had a rough time, right? And I was I was in pain and so physically. Right. And so, so my girlfriends, Emily and Angela, uh, they said, "Let's just drive." You know, this is back in the days before GPS, okay? And the, and my friend Angela, she was the only one with a car, and she was like, "Let's pack a picnic lunch, let's get in the car, and let's go get lost." And I was like, that sounds like the best thing ever. And so we did. We're like driving around rural North Carolina. None of us are from there. We don't know what we're doing. We stop and we have this amazing picnic. And then we're like, oh, we probably ought to head back. Right. You yeah. know, mm -hmm. but we we're feeling good. We we're feeling refreshed. And we said, well, where are we anyway? Like, we have no idea how to get back. Like imagine a day without GPS. Right. And so we did have a map in our glove box and we were like, let's just figure out where we're at. So I walked down to the closest street signs so that I would be able to tell them we're at the corner of such and such and let's find it on the map and then we'll drive home. And I look up at this sign and, you know, those green and white street signs and they're like, you know, like this perpendicular to each other. And I was like, oh my gosh, I gasped. And I called my friends over there like, what? What is it? I was like, look at where we are. And we were at the intersection of Emily Street and Parton Avenue. And the, my friend that I just said that I was with, her name was Emily Parton. Oh my, what? what? Yep. Come yep. on. Right, and then we knew, I was like, you know what? We're going back to work, it's gonna be okay. That's wild. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We had, talk about goosebumps, right? Yeah. <laughs> I get goosebumps every time I tell that. Yeah. It's not, it's kind of a unique name. It Emily is. Parton. Yeah, yeah, it is. Hopefully we have an Emily Parton listening to us right now somewhere across the state of Tennessee or the country that <laughs> maybe so. is maybe concerned about where they are in life. And now we just reaffirmed. <laughs> so right. Emily, here's Emily, your hint of holiness. Emily, you are exactly where you need to be right now. <laughs> you are, Emily. Amazing. So Jacqueline, thanks for, for joining us on the podcast. This has been an amazing conversation. If some of our listeners would like to interact or engage with, with your work a little bit more, um, where can they do that? Oh, it's easy. So I have my own website, which is www.jacquelinebussy.com. And the Bussy is B-U-S-S-I-E, just like bus, bussy.com. 
And you can you can email me there. Um, you can book me for a speaking engagement, anything like that. But if you also just are interested in some of the content that I gave today, a lot of it is out of my books. And my books are available wherever books are sold, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or your independent bookseller. And my books are called Love Without Limits. A lot of things I talked today were from Love Without Limits um, or Outlaw Christian. So well, we, we do like our guests to sign off with a little word of encouragement that feels more unnecessary from this conversation than any other conversation. Because I feel like this whole conversation has been a massive word of encouragement to our educators. But for the sake of consistency, would you mind just signing off with a little word of encouragement uh, to our, our, our educators across the state? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I just want to say to all the educators, you are a music, you are the music to a child that comes into your classroom, uh, into your your daycare center, your childcare center. Um, You are music to them and you making a difference, even if maybe, you know, your salary doesn't reflect it the way that it should. um, That's not fair. And I'm not going to say that it is. And I also want to say, though, you know, there are people who see you. There are people who see the good work that you're doing. And I think most of all, it's the children who look into your eyes and they know that you want to be there and you want to be there serving them. So I just say, you know, keep on keeping on because this is consider this a thank you note from the world for what you do. (laughs) That's perfect. Thank you so much. Um, I know that that I got as much out of this conversation as I'm sure our listeners will. Um, So thank you again for, for coming on the show with us today. Thank you. Thank you. It's been my pleasure completely. Thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. This podcast is funded through a grant with the Tennessee Department of Human Services and Signal Centers. Signal Centers is a nonprofit in Chattanooga, Tennessee, whose mission is to strengthen children, adults, and families through services focusing on disabilities, early childhood education, and self-sufficiency. If you have a review, a comment, a suggestion for a future episode, please do so on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash tnwages or email us at wages at signalcenters.org. Again, Thank you for listening to the Lean Into You podcast, and we hope you have a great week.